Welcome to Well-Designed Lives with Brad Wiesner, our weekly podcast that brings you interesting people and deep conversations about all things beauty and about how others curate a well-designed life. Hello and welcome. I'm really glad you're here today. I have someone pretty cool coming by, Chris Kegg. As a kid growing up in central Pennsylvania, Chris might have been a typical average kid. He was overweight, not too motivated, and he had a proclivity for online stuff. But he had a lot of early programming from his dad and others, and his early decision to become a Marine started some really big changes in his life. Being diagnosed with a degenerative disease, his challenge through that time and all that happened to know where he is today is just so impressive. Among other accomplishments, he is the founder and the CEO of the I Am Able Foundation in Reading, Pennsylvania, and this is where I hope to share with you the amazing fruits of his journey. You can find Chris at IamAbleFoundation.org and all the places listed on the notes for this episode. Enjoy this wonderful conversation with Chris. How's that scotch? Outstanding outstanding in its field so you're a man after my own heart this single malt scotch business there's nothing like it very good i don't drink anymore but when i did that was my favorite yes i've gotten i've gotten definitely a taste for it because it's not something i liked when i first started scotch all scotch i think is an acquired test yeah and i've acquired it good (laughs) yeah it's like what do they say the first man that ever ate an oyster was a very brave man (laughs) So you are Chris Keg. I am. I have waited and waited. I knew I wanted you to come and be a guest, and I'm very excited that you're here. Well, it's an honor. Thank you very much for the invite. Sure. You are the founder of I Am Able, but there's a huge story in front of that, and I, I, I want everyone to hear it from you. We have a little bit of it in the notes and, and things like that, but uh, anyway, take us through that. Take us through your early life, uh, because I'm, I'm very curious about what makes you up? I'm, I've had the good fortune to get to know you. I respect you a lot and your, your attitude, what forms your opinion and, and your outlook. I just think it's interesting to, to maybe glean anything from youth and growing up and life to this point. Yeah. So my childhood was, uh, was normal. I say that quote unquote normal. Um, my dad, you know, was, uh, he was married three times. Um, my, my brother and I were, we went through a lot of things. My dad was divorced. Um, we uh, but moved around a lot. Uh, but at the same time, my dad was a uh, very supportive. And my dad was a Marine. So it was something I admired ever since I was about seven years old. I, I always wanted to be a Marine. And that was something that, you know, it was because of him. My my uncle and my grandfather were all Marines. Um, so it was pretty, uh, pretty great growing up. Uh, it wasn't like it was anything that they pushed on me. It was simply, I just, I just, respected you know the the marine corps and just respected all the things that they went through and the stories that i would hear all the time so it was it was pretty great because i ne- I never knew, i thought your dad was a marine but i didn't know your uncle and yep. yeah so, so you were surrounded by it i was sur- i was but but again this was this was not like this is something that they talked about all the time and they said this is what you're going to do you know, they never forced me to do it it was just something that i admired about them and i respected it sure. and you know at an early age i said that's what I want to do. I want to be a Marine. When did you, when do you think you knew? 
I'm probably about seven or eight years old. See, isn't that interesting? So there's there's a theory that I subscribe to, and that is that uh, for those of us in life that are very lucky to know what we want to do, um, you can normally trace it back to when you're six, seven, or eight years old. Something triggered in that yeah. time period for many, many young people. And, and although you may not remember it or whatever, but if you look back, there is, oh, there was that moment, you know. And uh, I have mine too, but yeah, I, it's interesting. So good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't remember everything, but I do remember, you know, writing. I, I, my dad had gotten me Marine Corps stationery, and I, was, I remember writing letters to the commandant and all the other stupid stuff that a kid does. Um, but it was, it was something that was pretty cool that I was really interested in. And I, was, I was pretty focused on what I wanted to do. Sure, sure. So uh, you're young, and you know you want to go into the Marines eventually. You go through school. What was school like? Um, well, for, for me, I was, uh, you know, I played football ever since I was probably about, you know, 10 years old and was, was pretty active, um, but I was lazy. And, you know, this was back in the 90s, so I played uh, offensive center and defensive tackle. So I needed to uh, make sure I was the size of the, the person that I was going against. So I just ate a lot, drank a lot, and uh, did all the stupid stuff that, you know, somebody who's 16 years old does. Putting on weight. Putting on weight. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I'm my senior year in high school, I was probably about 225, 230 pounds. Um, so I really just didn't have a whole concept of what I was able to accomplish. And, you know, unfortunately for me, going to Marine Corps boot camp was a big eye opener. I did not prepare myself. I did not get in the shape that I needed to be to, to go through those challenges. Isn't that everybody's fear? I, you know, whether I, whatever you go into boot camp is going to be, oh my God, you know, it doesn't matter what shape you're in. I think you worry about this is going to break me. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it was, it was, it was good for me to have family members, my grandfather, my uncle, my, my dad, you know, talking about boot camp because I mean, I, I heard so many stories about what it is that you've go through and, and I was, I was prepared for the challenge. I was prepared for the, the change that was going to, you know, ensue hopefully. Um, so when I got down there is when I really, you know, put that to the test and, you know, was uh, changed in three months. So was that, uh, you know, was that as perfunctory or was that as pragmatic as it's, I just did it. Or, I mean, was there a paradigm shift in your life or did, did a light bulb come on or can you share anything about, um, you know what, honestly, um, the, the Marine Corps, I, mean, I, I say this all the time when I go out and speak, it's like the, the Marine Corps is what changed my life. I mean, it, it really gave me the perspective and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the, the idea that I can accomplish anything. And being in boot camp, you, st- you start to learn pretty quick that you're not going to do this by yourself. You're going to take care of your teammates. You're, you're not going to think about your suffering and the pain that you're going through because if you fail, then everybody else is going to have to pay for you. And that's something that... Um, you know, I was 17 years old when I went to boot camp. My dad had to sign the paper to, to, to let me get in. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was a young guy and started to started to learn those lessons pretty quick. It's like, you know, Marine Corps boot camp, they definitely don't, you know, let you fail your team. And that's something that was pretty profound for me. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I think that I learned from boot camp is that, you know, it's not about me. It's about my team. Well, that's funny. Um, just just today, I saw something on TV, and I forget exactly what it was about. It was a, a sports segment, uh, and I don't remember what year it was. Forgive me, but it Tom Brady was playing for the playing for the Patriots and the Rams, and they were playing a big game. And the Rams, per tradition, came out onto an interview name by name, and 
busted through the thing and they all came out one by one on the field, you know, celebrating their name and their Tom Brady said, we're all going to come out as a team. We're not going to do this individually. And um, they were announced as, you know, the new England Patriots and that sort of collection, that sort of teamwork, you know, I think is never more evident than in the military and it's never more, you know, than, than the Marines. Well, I mean, every day for me, I mean, just like anybody who went to, to, to Marine Corps boot camp, I mean, every day is a challenge. You know, but for me, it was one of those things where every single day I thought I was gonna thought I was gonna die, and it's because I was fat, and I was out of shape, and I just didn't have a, a very you know good idea on what I was able to accomplish. But then that's when it started to really you know um, become pretty clear to me that I still can do it. And you know, I had my defining moment. You know, my drill instructor, who I still have a very strong relationship with, uh, drill instructor Sergeant Hart, who is now a colonel in the Marine Corps. Um, who I truly respect. Cool. I mean, he's a uh, he's a career marine. Yeah, you know, this guy is. Uh, you know, he he definitely fits the part. Yeah, and you know, we went out for a run, and we started off with a pretty good steady pace, and then he said, "Keg, pick it up," and we basically went into an all-out sprint, and I was dying. Hmm. I mean, we dropped probably about four or five guys out of our platoon, and you know, I I I wasn't gonna quit. And I remember, you know, coming towards the end, you know, my shins were starting to hurt because I had shin splints, you know, just from my weight and kept on going and crossed the finish line, collapsed. Did not think I was going to freaking live. I thought I was going to have to go to medical. Um, but that, that was the day once, once I got my condition and things started to change a little bit, I realized that that was the day that I defined who I am because if, if, there, if I didn't have that experience, I didn't challenge myself. I really wouldn't know what I was able to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I was looking for is is uh, when did the young, overweight kid who's now in boot camp have that moment where we went into a sprint and I'm just not going to quit? And, you know, that was a snap. Was it like a... And to be honest, I didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, I was, I, I was 18 then because I had turned 18 to boot camp. Mm-hmm. And... All I had was the mentality where I wasn't going to quit on my teammates. I wasn't going to quit on myself um, and my drill instructor. I, I just wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be that guy who quits and I just kept going, but it wasn't until I was probably about 23, 24. I remember being with my dad going down to Jersey and just thinking about that moment and like, Holy crap. That was, that was the day that I defined myself. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Something that you don't realize sometimes that at the time, you know, you have to reflect a little bit and I think, you know, sometimes it hits you a little bit later. Yeah. I get that completely. I get that completely. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. So there you go. And you are uh, in the military, got a great relationship with your Sergeant. What comes next? Well, I didn't have a great relationship with him then. Oh, as soon as boot camp was done, I was out. I, uh, you know, got off of Paris Island and, you know, went about my career. Yeah. Um, but then I was overseas in, in Aviano, Italy I mean, this was back back in the day. This was back during the '90s. So this was you know before the, uh, the 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 wars we have going on right now. Um, but I was overseas in Aviano, Italy, mm-hmm. and went out for a run with a friend of mine, um, and just noticed that my feet were starting to drag a little bit. Um, I had played rugby rugby for the Marine Corps probably about a month before that, and I was fine. I could I could run. Um, looking back on it, I think I still do think that there was some issues that I was having. But to be honest, I really didn't even realize it. I just thought it was sure. you know, tired legs or something was wrong that I was tripping over my feet. But then when I went and did this physical fitness test, um, I dropped from 20 minutes running three miles to 26 minutes. So 
kind of knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went to uh, went to the doc to find out if they could uh, figure out what it is that I had going on. So, and and you were about twenty then. I was twenty. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I was twenty one actually. Twenty one yes. in, in Italy. In Italy, all things right. Yeah, and they let you know. So the the first doc I went to, he said, you know, your boot bands, which is what you know goes around your ankles, are too tight. Keep them loose, and that's that'll be fine. And I knew that was BS. So probably about six six weeks later, I came back and said, this is still still an issue because my feet were starting to drag, and I was you know feeling just uncomfortable as I was sitting down. Um, so I went and saw another doc, and the doc he actually was a lot more serious about it. He actually uh, sent me back to the states because he thought I had a tumor on my spine. I see. So I went to, uh, to, to Longstuhl, Germany, and then I went to Walter Reed Hospital in D.C., and I spent nine weeks down there where I was poked and prodded every day. I was getting spinal taps. I was getting blood drawn, blood drawn every single day, getting electronic tests and, you know, all that. But it was one of those things I was glad that I was trying to figure out what it is because I knew something was wrong, but nobody was able to tell me what, what it was. Yeah. And what did they eventually find? So in uh, February of 1998, my my doc comes to my room, tells me this is this is your diagnosis. You have adrenal myelinopathy because the you know the doctor who was the world renowned expert on it, who unfortunately has passed, he was over in Baltimore, Maryland, and he came over there and he did a uh, a lecture with the neurology department and kind of let them know they they had me up there. I was like a guinea pig, showing them how my legs were jumping and how I was responding to different tests. And um, that that was the first time a lot of these people had ever seen it. When was he from Johns Hopkins? He was from Johns Hopkins. Yes. What's his name? Kenneth Krieger. His name is Doctor Moser. Moser. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And he, unfortunately, he has passed. Okay. But it was one of those things where um, the doc came to my room and brought me out in the hallway, and he he, he kind of talked to me a little bit soft, like he was afraid of how I was going to react. Sure. But he told me, and I was like, okay, and. That that's the difference that I, I I talk to a lot of people who you know have certain conditions or certain traumas in their life and some some people it's it's a hard thing for them to to accept. For me, I I said okay, went back to my room, got my gym clothes on, and went to the gym. It was what it was. I I, I knew I had to keep on going. And I had to continue my life, so I really didn't make a big deal about it. I, I really it was one of those things. I was still a young guy. Because, I mean, he did say to me, you could be in a wheelchair in five years. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was walking around fine. I, was, I wasn't experiencing um, too much physical problem. So it, it really didn't uh, really didn't dawn on me too much you know, at, that, at that point. Yeah, that kind of pragmatic, straightforward, that's how I know you. Yeah, it was one of those things where, I mean, I was relieved. I was relieved to know what it was because, you know, for, so, for eight, nine weeks, I felt a certain way, and I knew I was, I was feeling different, but it, you know, I didn't really have any idea what the heck, heck it was. So, unfortunately, that's when you know they told me that I was going to have to get out of the Marine Corps, and you know that's when my life started to you know really adjust because that's all I wanted to do was be a Marine, and now I had to uh, to get out and I had to come back to Pennsylvania, figure out what it is that I was going to do. So, when you came back to this area, did you spend a lot of time reflecting and? <laughs> kind of, you know, looking at it all and kind of putting it in perspective and kind of, or did you just move? It, it was one of those, I, I like to think, do you think that I, that I would be that way? But for me, it was, I was 21 years old or actually 22 years old. And here I am back in Pennsylvania and 
I spent most of my time trying to figure out what it is I was going to do. Yeah. I mean, again, here's the 22 year old guy. I was starting to starting to have problems. I was starting to trip over my feet a little bit more. I was losing my balance. I remember there was a night where I was in the shower and I was, you know, washing my hair when I still had hair. Um, and just, I closed my eyes and I was washing my hair and I fell out of the shower and I smacked my head against the wall. So there I am laying there, you know, on the side of the shower. My dad had to come in and scoop me up. And it was one of those things where a lot of things were happening differently. And I was just having to get adjusted to that. I mean, imagine when you're 22 years old, you know, you're trying to figure out what it is that you're trying to do. You're trying to, you know, fit in. You're trying to, you know, be friends with people and, you know, to have this condition and have these differences going on. It was, uh, it was a lot for me to, uh, to adjust to. And, but at the same time, I was, I was still, uh, still an optimistic and positive guy. So it really, it really never got to the point where I was depressed, pissed, and just sat there and didn't do anything. And unfortunately, that is the way a lot of people are. And yeah, me too. Yeah, really. I got to tell you, um, one of the many reasons that I respect you so much is for that attitude and that outlook. I would have been the other way. I would have really resented what uh, life had given me. And I would have really um, tried to figure out the meaning and why me. And it would have been a whole cesspool of what would happen. And uh, that doesn't do you do any good, really. No. And I, I've definitely heard that from other people I've spoken to and other people that I've tried to help out. And, you know, I, I don't know how I was blessed to, uh, to have the attitude that I did. But again, I, I think that I really think that the Marine Corps and the attitude that I was given, the whole no excuses policy mm-hmm. that, the, that the Marine Corps kind of instills in you, I, I really think that that helped me um, to, to, to not sit there and, and you know, wallow in my sorrows, yeah. you know, improvise, adapt, overcome, figure out a different way to do things, implement that into your daily life, and then get on with no excuses. There wasn't going to be a day where I was going to sit there and say, I can't do this, I can't do that. Like, no, you can do anything you want. You just have to figure out a way to do it differently. I used to say you can do anything you want if you want it badly enough, but I think it's much better to say what you just said and that you can do anything you want. You just got to figure out how to do it. That makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, the Marines have a saying, uh, failure is not an option. And I, I can never remember it, so please forgive me. You just said it, but it's, you know, improvise, adapt, and overcome. overcome. Yep. And I know you say that a lot. I, I wish we were all as uh, adept at doing that. So there you are. You've come home. You're noticing that your condition's getting worse. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Yeah, and to be honest, I, I, I look back on the do- those days. It took me a while to, to accept it. I mean, again, I wasn't, I wasn't like, sitting around depressed and sitting in my room and not doing anything. But I remember I was working at a gym, and um, the, my manager, Deb, she had come up to me and she says, what's going on with your legs? And I'm like, Oh, nothing. I, I was on a mountain bike ride. I think I just, you know, warm out and, you know, cause I was, I was still walking around. I was just limping a little bit and, you know, every now and then catching my feet. Um, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to tell everybody what it was. Those are the kind of, um, you know, problems that I had, you know, anxiety and, you know, being in front of a crowd makes my legs tense up. So I remember, you know, waiting behind a wall before walking in front of 20 people because I knew my legs were going to act up. And these are the kind of things that I had to just do at the time. But then as I started you know, having more experience and, and, you know, years went by, that's when I started to, you know, start to come out a little bit more. And once I started to come out a little bit more, it, it, it became a lot easier you know, yeah. for, to, for me to be able to talk about it 
And for me to be able to, uh, to admit the fact that, you know, I do have something and I, you know, kind of explain that. So I, I kind of like to talk. So then I started to just talk. Yeah. I started to tell people what it was that I actually had. And I was honest with everybody. I guess we would say that was the start of Chris promoting. I, I, I don't think there was a, 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 a conscientious thing. I think this is just the way that I was. And, you know, I love being around people. I mean, that, that's yeah. something that I, I really, you know, thrive in, you know, being around people and, you know, having the, the chance to get in front of people and to, to lead them. I was working at this gym, so I was like personal training and I was doing, you know, things to be able to help people get better and to help better themselves. Um, so it was something that was pretty fulfilling for me. You know, I, I really don't think I actively thought about I'm out here trying to promote myself. But it was, it was then, you know, in 2004 when I started the uh, core fitness that's when I started to really promote, you know, all the things that I was trying to do. Maybe, maybe I'll take a break and, and talk about this podcast and the goal, you know, is, is to talk about beauty, discover beauty in wherever it manifests, you know, and so much of already before we go any further, the beautiful things that I see that even, even that moment on the track with your, your sergeant was like, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. Whether that was a switch that flipped or you didn't even realize it, but there's a beauty in that moment. You know, the, the transformation of the young guy, you know, there's, there's the beauty of the moment where you say, I'm, I'm just not going to stand behind the stage anymore. I'm just going to get out there and tell it, you know, uh, sort of, I call it dropping the curtain. And, uh, that many of us in life with trials, tribulations or trauma or however, whatever it is, you do want to have your agency. You do want to keep it private for as long as it's important to you to do. But when you can drop the curtain, there's such a transformation that comes with that. There's a beauty in that moment. Maybe it's to to have that moment where you know you you find yourself and you have a very you have a very different color of agency in that. And then and then the not everybody's extroverted. Not everybody likes people. Not everybody likes public speaking, but you and I do, and you and I are good at it, that uh, I think we need people like that. You know, we need people like you to what I call promote it or sell it or, or talk about it, you know, and, and, and like we're doing today. But anyway, so I, I, could, I could talk for an hour just about the, the moment of beauty in that kind of stuff, but I, yeah. we won't go there. Okay, so here we are, and take us, take us next. Uh, what happened next? So, you know, trying to, trying to find a job, trying to, trying to just figure out what it is that I was going to do, went back to, uh, to Penn State Berks um, to get my degree, you know. And, again, I'm still trying to figure out what I was, what I was going to do, but I figured I'd just get a degree, you know, and that's going to help better my chances of getting something. So went to Penn State Berks, got a marketing management uh, degree, and then when I graduated, I had a hard time finding a job. 2004, I was working – uh, at Pfizer uh, Pharmaceuticals, and a woman had hired me to, to work at uh, the night crew because they had a fitness center there. So I was in, in there in the middle of the night working and then just started doing some calisthenics, started doing some different workouts because there was people in there who really had no idea what they were doing. So I just wanted to try to motivate them, wanted to try to inspire them to move. So I was just you know coming up with some, um, some of the things that I was familiar with from the Marine Corps. Got the idea that I could possibly start a business. This uh, November of 2004, I started to start core fitness. So didn't get a chance to be a drill instructor and didn't get a chance to have my Marine Corps career. But now I had a chance to uh, hopefully motivate and inspire, you know, other civilians and other people to uh, to really redefine what it is that they can do. 
And that was something that was uh, pretty profound. Started out of the back of my truck in 2004, taking people outside. Didn't matter if it was raining, snowing. And, and tell us why that was profound. It was profound just because it, it kind of like comes full circle. You know, I never, ever imagined that I'd be doing the things that I was doing. And now I had a chance to, to kind of put the shoe, shoes on the other foot. You know, now I was that drill instructor. I was that person that was going to get out there and lead people. I was going to be that person that gets out there and motivate and inspires other people to redefine what it is that they could do. And that was something that was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty rewarding for me. I think a lot of people would get this. I hope a lot of people get it. But the, the idea that the universe comes full circle. And maybe for some people it happens later in life, maybe, maybe sooner for others. But um, there's a very beautiful moment when you can connect those dots. In my life, I see it all the time where there's just this, it's not coincidence anymore. I don't know what it is, but the universe just came full circle. All the dots are connected. I can't believe I'm in this moment, you know. So when you have this time in that gym and you're realizing you could help other people and you're in the pickup truck and how, how did it, what did it look like? Where'd you go from there? So I was out of the back of my truck being outside, but this is something that there's a lot of people who want to, they want to be a personal trainer. They want to start a fitness center. They want to do something. But, you know, here I am, I'm walking with canes at the, at the time. You know, I'm struggling every single time I get out of my truck to get out there and, and you know, do these things. So I think that I was a pretty positive example for people who have variability and they're just complaining about that this workout's too tough. Well, here's a guy who's walking with, with canes who's up here struggling and doing the things that he's doing. So I think that that motivated some people. Kept on, kept on doing that for a couple of years. And then in 2007, we got our first facility. And that was uh, something that I was very proud of. We got a chance to, to have our own building. And then we started to, you know, on a Saturday, we were hoping five to seven people would show up. And then we get this building and then it started to gradually, I started to get a little bit of a reputation and people started to see the things that we're doing. And, you know, it was a pretty intense workout. So the numbers started to build, which is pretty awesome. How did the numbers build? What, what, uh, if I understand correctly, it started out as just training for everybody, physical training. Mm -hmm. When did it morph into I am able? So the, the gym, I, I, I would accommodate everybody. So it doesn't matter if you were young, old, you know, whatever. And I accommodated. I, I loved making sure that every ability could get out there and they could do something. And that that somebody, if, if they have a bad knee or if they have a bad back, I would still give them you know modifications that they can you know still go through the same workouts that everybody else was doing and be included in that group. So that was the kind of the start of what I uh, I think that I do with my my philanthropic stuff now. But um, 2004, actually the same year I started Core Fitness, uh, I decided to. Um, do a triathlon to raise money for nerve damage research mm -hmm. because I didn't want to just sit around and wait for things to happen. I wanted to kind of make some things happen. So I raised money for the Myelin Project, which is an organization that um, did um, research into nerve damage. And what is that again? M-Y-L-A-N-D? M-Y-E-L-I-N, the Myelin Project. Myelin. Yeah. So the first year we did the triathlon, I had never done a triathlon ever and just got the idea to do a triathlon. And raised sixteen thousand dollars. Had three hundred eighty-six people that showed up, and it was uh, pretty remarkable. We're getting ready to do our nineteenth nineteenth annual May twenty-first this year, which is something I'm pretty proud of. Very cool. So that that's what we started um, to be able to raise money for nerve damage research. But then, uh, probably about three years after I was doing that, um, I, I really didn't know where that money was going and what it was doing. And the people who support 
me and the support of the race, I wanted them to see exactly where their money's going. Mm-hmm. So that's when 2007, I started the I Am Able Foundation because I had been down to, uh, to Kennedy Krieger. This was a lot of children in this hospital. You know, these children were on breathing tubes, feeding tubes, you know, in chairs. Yeah, Kennedy beds. Krieger is world-class. Yes. They're very, very, very good at what they do. Well, that, that's, where my, that's where my doctor was, so that's why I was seen there. But here I am. I'm a 22-year-old Marine. You know, I'm limping in a little bit. I mean, I was walking still, but I'm walking into this to see my doctor. And seeing all these kids, that, that really made a huge impact on me. You know, because I, I was very fortunate to, to live a normal childhood. I had a chance to be a Marine. I had a chance to do all the things that, you know, everybody else does just to live a, live a normal childhood. And unfortunately, these kids didn't have that opportunity. Unfortunately, it's not, it's not cheap to be disabled. So that's why I got the idea that I wanted to provide a way to get these kids out and get them active and get them a chance to live a normal childhood. Um, and that's when I started Lion Mabel in 2007. One of the primary reasons that I hoped that you would sit and talk with me is that I knew where you found beauty, or at least one place that you find beauty, and that's in young people. Um, I do as well. And there's something about it that my own journey, you know, who, who knows where, where and when we key into that fact about young people and, and being of service, of helping. And, but, uh, when I was uh, working in Washington, D.C. as an interior designer, some of us would be asked each year to be part of uh, Georgetown University Hospital. The uh, Four Seasons Hotel and the hospital would partner together for uh, decorator Christmas trees in the lobby. And we, would, we would decorate you know, a tree ostensibly to promote our company. And it was all big, you know, let me put my company out there. Let me do a tree at the Four Seasons. And then you get paired up, of course, with the children in the oncology unit and Dr. Shaw and the work that she was doing and the success stories. And it just, it was so impactful Mm -hmm. and it transcends anything that you're doing about, you know, any of it. And, uh, the one, the, the one year that we did it, they partnered us individually with one of the young people who were a patient there. And, uh, my young lady and myself, you know, she came out to my design studio and we had fun coming up with the tree design together and watching it manifest, you know, and, and her parents and the whole program. And that was a big piece for me that started real hands-on ways to, to be involved, to give back, to help in some, some way. And, um, and from there it happens in so many ways. I mentor young people and blah, blah, blah. But so to, to your story, you know, the, the seeing, seeing the opportunity, the need for young people to have that, you know, and especially if they're disadvantaged in some way to rise above it, get active and, and not be, not be in a place where everybody else doesn't have an, an affliction or a disability that you're the only one and it doesn't feel, nope, you're in a place with everybody. It's all cool. There's no, there's no weird feelings about it. You just come and do it. Well, I tell you what, I mean, it sounds like something that you did is exactly what I experienced. So I found my why, you know, Frederick Nitsky talked about if you, you know, anybody who finds their why can overcome any how, and that's exactly what I am able to do now because I have so many people who are depending on me uh, to inspire and motivate them, you know, be that example for them to follow. 
I, it really doesn't matter if I fall out of my chair or if I have a bad day because you know what? I have a responsibility for those people. And I really genuinely care about all the people that I've been able to serve. And I, th- I thank people both from core fitness as well as I am able. I thank them because, you know, they, they have given me the ability to overcome all the things that I've had to face. I mean, there, there's days, I, I mean, I tell this story all the time. One day I was waiting, I was getting in my truck and I get in there and drop my keys, lean, lean down to, to grab my keys. And my, my leg wasn't attached to the steering wheel. So I fell out, smashed my face on the ground and, you know, I'm bleeding from my eye and I look at my watch and I have 15 minutes to get out to the gym because I had class that I had to teach. So, you know, get myself into the truck, which took me probably about five minutes, get into my truck, race out to the gym. Once I get out there, wipe the blood off my face, you know, rub the dirt off me and then get out and get my chair, get inside. As soon as I walk through, as soon as I roll through the door, you know, there's people who are there to see me. I'm shaking hands. I'm giving them hugs. I'm smiling. And it's like all the things that I just went through are gone. And I don't even think about it. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people um, who have different challenges, if they can have other people to help, you know, take their mind off of those challenges or those, those problems that they faced, it's like definitely going to help them. So I really see all the things that I'm doing with I'm able now and all the people I'm able to, to inspire and motivate and to change their life, to, to see that there's something that, that, that they are able to do. It's, it's something that's so rewarding for me. No, I hear you. I hear you. You know, the passion really comes through. Uh, one of the, th- one of the things that I do a bit differently is when I'm, when I'm just mentoring, you know, sometimes I'll, grab this kid i don't know why i don't even know if the kid wants to be mentored but like come here you're with me <laughs> sometimes i feel like i'm anti-mame you know it's like come on i'm going to show you the world you know what if i don't want to see the world brad but um or or pied piper or some sort of a thing but uh you know i really i really key in sometimes with uh, uh this empathy thing i got going on and um i believe i'm a, an empath but uh and 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 so I always try to say, listen, I work real hard to be on time because I used to be late all the time. I work real hard to be on time. And if I'm late, I really beat myself up. I want this young person to see that I'm kind of beating myself up and I'm going to have a talk with myself right here in front of them, you know, that I need to like lighten up. And, and uh, I guess I, I guess I want them to see that um, life happens. It's all Okay that that you have people like me that are here supporting you and as long as we have that with each other it's all going to be okay you know so many times all of us these young people have trauma episodes broken families i just i just feel it very important to help and and to be present Mm -hmm. in whatever way however small you know whatever that means um i had a you know i had a few people like that in my life that uh, deeply influenced me and um so there there you go uh we've we we have this mutual love of of being of service with young people helping mentoring and inspiring young people despite falling out of a truck despite okay there's a little blood but we keep going you know what happened next where where are you with i am able after that it just grew so you know, I am able started with just the uh, the concept of providing adaptive equipment grants to get people moving, um, because unfortunately, you know, if you're disabled, you know, a hand cycle, which is an arm powered bike, 
costs anywhere from you know two thousand dollars to five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. That's crazy. It, it, it is crazy. It's expensive yes. to yeah. It's expensive to be disabled. I say that all the time. Yeah. And you know the first one of the first um, um, young men that I got in, his name was Jordan. Actually, Jordan is going to be featured in some of our movies for our bash that we have coming up. To, we're celebrating our fifteenth annual coming up in March, and um, you know Jordan came into my facility and didn't really know what was going on. He was a five-year-old and brought out a hand cycle and he had never ridden a bike ever. So get him on this hand cycle and trying to explain to him what was going on and what he needed to do. He was a little bit apprehensive, wasn't really sure what the heck was going on. And then finally, all of a sudden he gets it. And then he just starts cruising around and he gets that like sheepish grin on his face where he just starts doing laps get him outside. He was on that bike, I think for an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a five-year-old kid who gets a chance to, to have the wind in his hair and to be able to just get out there and ride. It was something that was pretty phenomenal. Um, then I got, um, I spoke to a second or third grade classroom. Um, and I invited them out because then we, we decided as a board, we approved his grant to be able to get his hand cycle. His, his hand cycle cost $1,900. So a five-year-old boy, his bike cost $1,900. And that's the thing that, you know, a lot of parents who have special needs kids or have, you know, any issues, it's like that's something that's very expensive. And I think that's what, you know, I'm able was able to help, you know, provide that, um, you know, way for them to get over that obstacle. So we brought these kids out and I had them bring their bikes out as well so that Jordan, even though he was different, that everybody who was there was going to ride bike with him. And it was a pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal. I know a young, I know a very young lady. I knew her when she was little and her, her issues are around uh, limb lengthening. And she's had, I, I remember when I first met her, I think she was maybe nine and I think she had already had 10 or 11 operations in her life wow. at that point. And she's had many more. But the, the point is, is that when um, she was old enough to ride a bike, she couldn't, the legs were wrong. It didn't work. And there wasn't anything to do. And all her friends were riding bikes. It's that age where all your friends were riding bikes and finally, uh, they were able to get her the right kind of bike. I think it was simply fitted with different pedals. I don't really know. But she was able to ride a bike. And it was different than everybody else's, but it didn't matter. She, she was out there with her friends, and that was huge. It was huge to see that in her. You know, there was there was a change in her that uh, was a step forward. You know, and, and that, that situation with Jordan, I like, I like to think that was something that we helped him to to really see what it is that he can do. I just talked to him the other day. It was so great to talk to him. I think he's uh, 16 or 17 years old now. I forget. But he just got a uh, scholarship to uh, to college to be able to play wheelchair basketball. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of the fact that he, you know, is still getting out there and really redefining what it is that he, he can accomplish. He's a great example to set for so many other people who are, you know, young. Maybe they have a, a, a disease or a condition that they were born with, mm-hmm. and to be able to see Jordan, you know, he's young. He's, you know, in a chair. He's got his his own adaptations that he has to deal with, but he just got a scholarship to college to play basketball. That's huge. Yeah, I have a similar story to that, so I really relate. There's there's this immense sense of pride. He's not my child. This this other this young man that I've I've mentored a little bit, um, he's not my kid. He's not my nephew or anything. And uh, he let me. He tolerated me to take him under his wing. And uh, 
show him things and help him be at the right place in his school life. And uh, he's so smart. He's just so smart. And I, I wanted to champion for him. I wanted to protect him. It was very important that I protect him. I don't know from what. I think that's my stuff. But anyway, and just a, just the journey and, and to see him get in a full scholarship to an Ivy League school, one of the top 10 universities in the United States, full scholarship, full tuition, books, spending money, everything. He's that smart. He's that bright. He's that nice. He's a gentleman. He's well-rounded and he's good looking and he's just all these things. And the pride that I feel for him, the, the what he's overcome in his life, if I'm not at liberty to share his story, but holy moly, it's horrible. And there's a lot of people that have horrible stories, but it's just really tough. And, and, and I was just bound and determined that if I'm around, this is going to be better, you know, some way, somehow. And I think as young people do, they tend to do it themselves. You, you want to think you're helping, but quite frankly, so much that this kid did on his own, really. But there was still this just immense pride. I can't imagine being a real parent. I don't know. I don't know that I could. The kid going off to college thought I was going to die. <laughs> you know, I don't know how parents do that. So, uh, so Jordan, coincidentally, by the way, um, a gentleman that I want you to meet whose name is Jordan Steffi. And Jordan has been on our podcast and in a very similar fashion, he champions the rights and causes of children, disadvantaged children, maybe of color, the goal of getting them in Ivy League schools. And and the program, which is called Atalo, which is Rise Up. You used that term earlier. But anyway, so interesting that uh, I want you to meet Jordan and I think you two would have a great deal in common and I would love to be a fly on the wall when you two meet you know and just be part of that exchange so this young man Jordan at I am able profound impact on you tell me about a young person who's been the most impactful to you well we um so we, we started off, I'm able, with um, the Adaptive Equipment Grants, and now we've morphed into programming. So we have I Am Fit. So I Am Fit is a chance. So, I, again, I had a gym. Um, so I, I when I owned the gym, because I just sold the gym this past year, but when I had the gym, um, we would provide an environment for um, the adaptive youth to come in. So kids with autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, spina bifida, we give them that same environment that I was doing with everybody else. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Oh. That, that's something that's that's pretty profound for me. And, you know, that's where I'm going tonight at 7 o'clock. Oh, I didn't know that part. Okay, yeah. good to know. Good to know. So, wow. you know, provided it was so great. And, you know, there'd be a, a class of able-bodied people going on beforehand. And then we would have all these, you know, young people waiting in the lobby. And then as soon as we would open the door, we would have a, a welcome wagon for them to come in. We'd be high-fiving them, you know, you know, giving them, you know, uh, um, big, loud chants and, all kinds of stuff. And they were just so pumped to be in, in that environment. And then we, you know, provided them a class, you know, of different, you know, circuit training or different weights, different, whatever, but we modified everything. So there were some people that were in chairs that were unable to do something, but then there was, you know, and, and everybody has different challenges. Everybody has, everybody has different things we needed to do to adapt. And that was something that was, I found that was pretty rewarding for us to be able to have, you know, 30 kids, you know, out there, you know, of all different abilities, they were able to, we were able to provide them that environment for them to thrive. 
because, you know, when I talk to parents, I ask them, what, what is it that we don't have around this area? You know, and, you know, mom's dad said, you know, well, my son, my daughter can't make friends. And being a dad, that killed me. You know, I'm like, well, that's something that we need to change. So now, you know, we provided this environment for them to come out. And it, it was so great to be able to see them come out there, you know, before class started, they'd be sitting there catching up with their friends. You know, oh, I like your hair. Or, you know, what are you having for dinner? Sure. You know, just the simple things as normal kids would talk about. And that was something that was so so rewarding for me to be able to see that, that we were able to provide that environment for so many. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the impact that I have from those, you know, experiences that I have, I can't name one person. I have to say all of them because I love going out and being a part of that. I mean, I tell people all the time, if, you, if you're having a bad day, come out there for an hour because you will not leave without a smile. Well, and I think there's, there's a theme running through this whole conversation too, even even when you were young going into the Marines, there's this common theme of getting out of our own heads and, and not being in your head, come on out, get into your body, not your head, you know, learn how to use this. And, and the other part I'm thinking is uh, these children, whether they are physically disabled or they have autism or downs or to simply learn how to use this machine and to, to, to learn it properly and not hurt yourself. There's a kind of accomplishment right there, right? And they come back the next time, they remember how to use it and we're using it. I, I, I love getting people excited about being fit. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I, I believe in the benefits of being active and, you know, staying as fit as possible. You know, despite the, the challenges or despite the things you have to do differently, you can still be active. And I think that's beneficial not only for you physically, but it's beneficial for you psychologically. For you to be in the same level playing field as everybody else yeah, you're doing it differently, but you're still out there doing it. I mean, now the Paralympics are going to be on TV. It's like, holy crap, this is the day and age now. It's the best time to be disabled because it's becoming a lot more accepted. And people are seeing how freaking badass some people with disabilities are and the things that they can accomplish. And that's something that I really want to make sure that I can inspire these other people to see that they can, you know, if they work hard, if they, you know, continue to, 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 to work towards a goal, they're, they're able to accomplish pretty much anything. So I'm, I'm glad that we're able to provide those opportunities. It's your mantra for everything, you know. It's, a, it's about your mindset. Yep. It's about your mindset. So with the grants that you give for equipment, so I think there's a story somewhere, and I don't really know it, so help me out. There was a woman near Boston, and she was given the grant to get a hand bike and Boston Marathon. What, mm-hmm. what is that story? So that is Devin Murphy. Oh yeah, Devin. So we we live in Pennsylvania, and being a small nonprofit, we're really only able to help out in the Mid Atlantic region. So like around Pennsylvania, so we and really we want to help where we live. We want to make sure that we can have an impact, you know, close by. But got a grant request from uh, from Devin Murphy in New York. Uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure what her story was, um, but I, I I just like I do with everybody, I, I called her on the phone and had a conversation with her. And the, the story that she gave me was just really impactful. And I'm like, you know what? I want, I want to help this woman out. So made, made a uh, kind of a command decision to, to be able to help this woman in New York. So we got her uh, a hand cycle. Uh, she came down to our shop and, you know, we kind of fitted her and then got her, uh, got her moving. And it's been amazing to see what she's been able to accomplish. I mean, she won the New York city marathon and she's like, I lost count now. She won the New York city marathon. And I think like, three times. Yeah. And then she won the Boston marathon thing three times. 
And it's just, I mean, it's been a total transformation. I mean, when she first came down, when I first met her, you know, a little bit, a little bit heavier and, you know, just not able to do some things and not really, you know, motivated about being active. And now she is a stud. I mean, just seeing the, the, the things that she's able to do on a daily basis. I mean, her nutrition, her, her workouts, all the things that she does to, uh, to be able to help inspire and motivate other people. It's, it's, it's been pretty incredible to see that she's an example for other people to follow. It's amazing. Amazing the reach. Amazing, you know, these young people and then they get older and it just keeps, it, the stories just proliferate and keep, keep growing. So uh, what are your hopes for I Am Able? Continue to get bigger. Continue to be able to um, provide more opportunities for a lot more people. Mm-hmm. You know, really want to, uh, you know, uh, start a community center. I want to start a, uh, you know, a place where people of all abilities can thrive. And that, that, that's the thing that I really, I, I love that I, yes, I'm in a chair, I'm different, I'm disabled, but at the same time, I have some of the best friends, I have some of the best people who I'm around, um, and I don't think that they see my disability. And that's something that people have told me before. Like, I don't even notice your chair. I'm like, that's great. Um, it sucks when they don't see my chair when I have three flights of steps that I have to climb when I go to their house or something. Yeah. But it, it's great that I'm not defined by my chair. I'm defined on what I'm doing in spite of my chair. Yeah, I don't. I don't see your chair. No, and, and I'm with you. And that, that's something I try to instill no. in a lot of people because I think a lot of people who I've talked to that have disabilities who are in a chair and are still struggling with the fact that they're different. Yeah. You know what? If you if you can just get out there and and you know just form relationships with people and push yourself, challenge yourself, and you know just try to do the things that everybody else is doing. You know, people are really going to accept. The fact that you're doing things differently, but they're going to be pretty impressed with the fact that you are having to do a lot more than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Well, I tell you what, man, it's like, I, I smile at everybody. I, I shake everybody's hand. I smile at everybody. And you know what? There, there's a lot of people who are disabled, unfortunately, who are that pissed off disabled person. Yeah. And you know what? They don't get the same uh, reaction from people as I do. I mean, I get a lot of really great responses from people and there very well may be ignorant people out there who judge me. I mean, there definitely are people who do and they look at me weird or they look at me differently. But at the same time, you know, the people who know me, they just see Chris Keg. They don't see a, a guy with a disability. They see the things that I'm doing in spite of my disability. I mean, that's something that hopefully people can see that you can accomplish a lot. Yeah. My stepfather uh, was an alcoholic and I didn't like him, and he uh, was really not a happy man. And at some point where he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and he gave up drinking overnight, and he changed overnight. My father, my real father, had passed away unexpectedly, and uh, my stepdad said, don't worry, I'm going to continue to pay for school, your college. And uh, in many ways, he became like a father to me. We, We became very close. Uh, he taught me how to sail, many, many things. But I I always remember how he changed through his, Ill, through his illness and uh, the obvious unfortunate, you know, the obvious disability, the obvious setback. We can talk about that too. But I always feel like somehow when we have troubles in life, there's there can be a richness. The, the, the layers get rich and 
and yes, there's trouble. They're imperfect, or you know, uh, you, you know, your marriage had trouble that time, or you're, I had a business fail, or but you you get a certain richness that comes with it, and uh, maturity, and and many other things. But it's it's uh, interesting, interesting that uh, you can just choose to smile through it. And, and reach so many people as I know you do. You have a big reputation here in town. Every, everyone I talk to, Chris, oh Chris, yes, you know. <laughs> so that's good. That's good. I mean, it's it's wonderful. So, uh, well, kind of, kind of what you were saying about your stepdad. You know, this has been a, a big change of perception in my life. And you know, I say this. You know, I remember one time having a conversation with my sister. And speaking of which, I have six brothers and sisters. I have three brothers, three sisters, you know, and that's something that I really want to commend them because, you know, I, I wanted to be that guy who was going to be able to overcome this stuff because not only the person that has to deal with the disability or the challenge, it's the family that has to see their brother, their son, their nephew deal with the things that they're dealing with. So I wanted to make sure that I can, you know, turn on that positive attitude. Mm-hmm. That they would be able to be, um, you know, saved from the, the depression and the, uh, the things that I would go through. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I think the face that we present to the world is very often what the world sees. Right. Or the way the world sees it, you know. But I remember telling my sister the one day, it's like, you know, I think this is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really wouldn't give anything, I would give anything to have my legs back and to be able to have my abilities back. But I really don't think that I'd be sitting here doing the thing that I'm doing now. Don't think I'd be sitting here talking to Brad. Exactly. And I don't think I'd be having, you know, the CEO of my foundation and doing all the things that I'm doing to speak and just inspire and motivate people. Because, you know, when I was a Marine and I had everything going for me and I had no problems, I just don't think I had that perception of what it is that's important. And I've made some of the uh, the best relationships and the closest relationships with people around me because I, I just, I care about everybody a lot more than I think I ever did. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic and becoming an alcoholic, as anybody knows, there's a lot of damage. There's a lot of flotsam and jetsam. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of damage. And in the process of getting sober and where I've come to in my life, how much better my life is than it ever, ever was in my whole life. And, and a lot of us talk about when we were young, we didn't feel right in our skin. And the only time we felt right was when we were drinking. And, and it's just really effed up. But I have always said, if I had to do it all over again and hurt and damage to get where I am today, I would do it all over again yeah. because it's that good where I am now. And, and not, I would never, ever wish to ever do it again. But if, that's, if that was the only way to get where I am, you know, much like yourself, I think. And, and I think we can talk about our reach, our ability to help others, and that there's a, it's almost an amplification that I don't, I don't know that I ever would have had without my setbacks and stuff. So what would you, what do you want, what do you want the world to know? What do you want everyone to know about Chris? That I'm just a very thankful person. I, I really would be pretty arrogant to feel sorry for myself for the things that I have to deal with um, because I still have the use of my hands. I still have, you know, the ability to, uh, you know, to stand up. I have the, the ability to do a lot of things. Yes, it sucks. Yes, I have challenges, but at the same time, there's a lot of people out there who have a hell of a lot worse than I do. Mm-hmm. So I really don't want to feel sorry for myself or, to, you know, look at my condition as something that I should be pissed about because you know what? 
I, I, I still have a lot of abilities. And I think that's something that a lot of people really need to do is really just appreciate all the things that you have and, and not focus on all the things that you don't have and, and really work towards, you know, providing that, you know, opportunity to, uh, to, I don't know, thrive with those abilities. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you said it early on too. Uh, as soon as we figure out the why the rest is easy, mm-hmm. and, but it's the why sometimes it can be hard. And I think if we, if we get grateful, if we're, if we're reminded how grateful we are, that we're blessed, life is rich. And then to find those ways that you, you come to a place where you can get quiet and then I think the why comes into focus that way. Very fortunate. You know, you met my beautiful wife, Gretchen yep. and my son Carter, which I don't know if you met him, but that's something that I'm just so thankful that I have. And your dogs, your beautiful dogs, dogs. and your beautiful home. <laughs> you got a lot, dude. You got a lot. Thank you very much. And you're handsome. <laughs> and you're so handsome. <laughs> and you're a good eater. I happen to know that about you. I love going out to eat with you because you I do like to eat. You do like to eat like me. Yes. You know, just in talking with you, it's wonderful. I, I just love being around you. Your passion can spill into emotion and you know, I, I see you tear up sometimes. I think I've seen you tear up five times during this conversation. <laughs> and uh, I think I have a perverted pleasure. And I got the ex-Marine guy to tear up. That's great, you know. But uh, hope, hope nobody who's listening caught that. Yeah. But that it's that it's your passion and that it comes out that way. And that you, you know, you're just very honest and, and, and you are who you are. There's just a beauty in that. Um, no apologies. You know, Chris, Chris Kegg, no apologies. We'll do that as your slogan. no apologies apologies. i don't know about that well listen it's been terribly wonderful just a pleasure and as always i love talking with you so uh, thank you very much for being a guest thank you for being part of my my first lineup of guests that we have honored to have you well thank you for coming back out again always a pleasure to see you uh i'll just leave it with this uh, the i am able foundation the letter i letter m able foundation.org if anybody likes to uh get a part of us and, you know, experience some of the things that we're able to, uh, to, to redefine possible for so many. We would love to, uh, to meet some new faces. And don't forget to look at our show notes at the episode. We'll have all of Chris's social media and all of the I am able foundation information there as well. But, uh, until then, see you next time. Thank you very much, Brad. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. If you're interested in more about well-designed lives, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, see you next week.